Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today, Father Nathan Castle returns to the podcast. Father Nathan has been a Catholic priest of the semi-contemplative Dominican order since 1979, and he has a new book out titled Afterlife Interrupted Book 2. For those of you that don't know, Father Nathan helps souls that have tragically died and are stuck cross over to the afterlife. Father Nathan, thanks for returning and welcome. It's uh, something I've been really looking forward to. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, So our last podcast together was uh, back in October, I believe. Yeah, third week of October. And I've had a lot of new subscribers since then, and probably most of them don't know you. So can you just tell us a brief synopsis of what you do by helping stuck souls cross over? Yeah, about 22 years ago, I'm now 65 years old, but about 22 years ago, um, I was asleep. I had a uh, what I call a contact dream. It wasn't just my own psychobabble. It had a distinct character that was other than that. I was uh, in the dream. I met a young man that died violently, and he was on fire. He, he burned to death uh, as a 20-year-old. I knew at the minute that it started that it was uh, it was like being called in the night. I, m- many times priests have to have a beeper on their nightstand if it's their turn to cover the hospital. If there's an emergency call in the middle of the night, it might be your turn that night to answer the emergency call. And it felt like that. So I sat up, I said a prayer, I jotted down what I thought I just saw in the dream. In the morning, I met with a partner who uh, I frequently prayed with and said, would you mind helping me? Something's uh, up. We, I think we're being asked to help somebody in some way. And w- one thing led to another, and this is on the, our previous show. Um, we went into a lot of detail about that story. We were able to talk to the guy and find out what was wrong with him, uh, what he was upset about and what he wanted. Um, he wanted to, he, he had died many years earlier. He'd been keeping track of his wife who was now aged and, and ill to the point of death. And he wanted to be able to greet her when she crossed, but he said, I can't the way I am. Mm-hmm. So that's where we started was trying to help somebody do the thing that they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, just built from there. I noticed that you mentioned that the voices that you hear are not your own psychobabble, psychobabble. Uh, yeah. So when you hear these voices, do you hear their voice like you think in their natural voice? Like, do you hear men's voices and women's voices or what it's, do you hear? It's not as much audio as it is video. Hmm. Um, th- you know, I, do you remember your dreams? Yeah. Well, you know, fragments. Well, m- most of what the experience of these is, is much more visual than it is auditory. Although sometimes it also has a lot of emotional content, the way good filmmaking does, good mm-hmm. storytelling does. Right. It might, you might, we might be talking about stories, but we're trying to affect hearts. So sometimes they're, they're communicating fear or anxiety or anger or something like that. That's part of what comes through in addition to the visuals. Sometimes there's a little audio, but it's more visual than anything else. Do you feel like you're seeing the actual being as they looked like during their lifetime? I've learned that what I'm seeing, they've, they are coached before they come into my dreams about get to the point, mm-hmm. show this man uh, something that will illustrate for him uh, what the heart of the problem is mm-hmm. or uh, what happened to you that, uh, that caused some uh, disruption and so that it's it's not just off the cuff. They've already been kind of coached into telling a story and getting to the point, and right. they do that. All right, you're saying coached. Who is coaching them? I I didn't understand this early on, but there's a whole team of afterlife helpers. All of my people die 
sudden violent deaths, car crashes, stabbings, floods, shootings, you name it, um, where they were as alert as you and I are right now and then out of body very quickly afterwards with trauma in, as the cause. And what I've found is that um, the afterlife accommodates whatever it is that people need. So there's something like uh, uh, first responders. There's something like ambulance guys, something like emergency rooms. Uh, there's a whole continuum of care. And I and my prayer partners are like the discharge staff. When people have healed to the point that they don't need to be here anymore, I help them move from one afterlife plane that's rather at a low level to the next thing that they're now ready for. That's amazing. So can you give us an anecdote or an example of one of your stories in your new book? That's just about all I do. I have, <laughs> I have lots and lots of them. Uh, well, one favorite of mine that I don't, you and I haven't talked about even offline is this uh, sweet lady that um, named Lucille. I call her calm under fire. She showed me waking up in the middle of the night and looking out the window and seeing all kind of intriguing colors of light that she'd never seen out her window before. And then realizing that, oh crap, I'm in a wildfire. Mm. That's why I've never seen these colors before. The whole neighborhood's on fire. And she sized things up. She was a widow who lived with two cats. She was in her night clothes and slippers and she thought, I'm in a wildfire. Now what do I do? She thought, if I were younger, I'd make a run for it. But I think, do I really want to go out on the driveway in a wildfire? I think I'm probably better off hoping that it skips over my house because that happens sometimes, you know, with wildfires and tornadoes. They mm -hmm. So she just collected up her cat. She thought, if I run around here like a crazy woman, I'm just going to scare the cats. So she gathered her cats together and sat in a chair and, and said, come right here. We're going to wait this out. And um, she said, I think what happened was, I don't know how wildfires work, but I think before flames got to me, there wasn't any oxygen left in the air. Do you know how wildfires work and if that's the physics of it? Well, um, not exactly, but that makes sense to me that there would be so much smoke in the house that they would probably choke and die first. You didn't even talk about smoke. She just said, she didn't, she said, I didn't know because I went unconscious and it's really not that important. I went unconscious and then I didn't wake up. And she said, but what I would want people to know is even though my body might've been burned to a crisp, I wasn't in it at the time. Huh. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad as you might think. Yeah. Um, but I ended up calling her Lucille calm under fire. Because she just in the middle, waking up in the middle of the night, she assessed what was going on. She uh, she played around with a few options, but she said none of them were good. But the best one seemed like to gather up my cats and sit in a chair and, say, and see what happened next. Um, and she did. And she said, I was very well cared for. Uh, I, you know, I, I realized that I was in that I, I did, in fact, leave my body. Uh, but my guardian was there to take it from there and to uh, show me where I should go next. Why would she be stuck? It was like a, not a real traumatic ending, like as if all of a sudden you fell off a building 20 stories high or something. You know what I mean? Well, I, I what I did in this new book is um, I included her story in part because it was a wildfire. Mm -hmm. And the West is just burning. I I live in Tucson. We haven't had rain in more than a year to speak of. Wow. Even all of our saguaro cactuses that we're so known for, they're all blooming like crazy right now. And the people that know about them say it's a distress signal. They're saying we need water. Mm -hmm. And we're just coming into our summer rainy season, the monsoon, and we're all really hoping and praying that we get a really good one because, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, the fact that there've been the the Western wildfires have been so awful. I wanted to include that story just as an encouragement to anybody that if they lost a loved one, well, hmm. she's at least got a story to tell. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you have any stories that involve someone dying from COVID? I do. I act not from COVID, but um, there's one in the new book called um, Virgil 
he went he, he went by either Virgilio or Virgil, depending on whether he was speaking to Spanish speaking people or or Anglo's like mm -hmm. us. Uh, and so we ended up calling him Virgil and his cousin Arturo. His cousin, uh, both of them had been born into poverty, and his cousin was a little bit older. And his cousin just figured out how to get to community college and how to go into a Votech program where he learned to run some sort of medical machine. And he went to work wearing scrubs and he was a professional. Uh, and then he got killed in an automobile accident. And uh, Virgil went to his cousin Arturo's funeral and was amazed that all these people outside their family thought of him as their hero. Hmm. They had been raised in a kind of a clan and he just had no idea that his cousin would be so well known by all these people and so well respected. So when it came time, oftentimes in these crossing stories, uh, Virgil himself was killed and in, in, uh, uh, assaulted in the street and hit in the head with a brick by somebody on drugs. Hmm. So he died a sudden death too, but so did his cousin. But he had remembered his cousin's funeral and was so inspired by it. And he thought, wow, I... Yeah, and if anybody can come and greet me in the afterlife, it'd be, it'd be my cousin Arturo. Mm. And when Arturo showed up for him, he showed up in his medical scrubs. And you remember back at the beginning of the pandemic, our news was full of the shortage of ventilators. Yes. Um, you could, you could hardly turn on the news without hearing about ventilators. Mm -hmm. It was right about that time. And we were being just we were just starting to put on masks and we were being told not to get the medical grade ones because the doctors and nurses need them. Mm -hmm. Here's how you make one you know, on your sewing machine. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, yeah. uh, right about that time, this story happened. And um, when when cousin Arturo showed up to take Virgil home, he showed me himself. I could see him in my own imagination. And he was standing in those kind of aqua colored medical scrubs. And behind him, was like a sea of ventilators and what are they called? N94 yeah. masks. Mm -hmm. The point that he wanted to make visually is there's no shortage of any healing thing here. Mm. Anything you need for healing, we've got it in abundance. Mm. And he communicated that. I'm looking right now, you have a backdrop that's a kind of starry sky or something like that. He had a backdrop like that and it was ventilators and masks. Oh. Have you ever come across multiple people that died together, like a whole family that died in a car accident and you've got four people to deal with at once or anything like that? Yeah, that happens often. Uh, and it, there's no one template for how that that operates. There's no one rule that says if you should die in a multiple fatality event that you have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, some people are uh, unconscious after uh, after a sudden death and just don't know what happened to them either never mind anybody else sometimes they do sort of pass in a group i was in, in the first book i have a story of a woman that died in a plane crash and she kind of took the role of um a professional while the plane was crashing and just stood up and told people what to do and she kept doing that after they all died oh, wow. and, and until she realized there were all these angels that really knew what they were doing and she could stand down <laughs> once she realized that there was somebody in charge here and it didn't have to be her she stood down uh, but one of the things that's so uh, it, it makes me smile even though these stories are so horrible and tragic they're they're all so dear because people are wonderful and when you hear them relate what what they did in the moment that sounds so awful, they just made decisions and some of them were loving and leading and caring. And, you know, the, the lady thinking about her cats while <laughs> she's in a wildfire. I didn't want to around scared of cats. So I just gathered them up and sat in my chair. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever come across children that have passed and had to help them? Yes. Um, uh, there's one in the new book, uh, who was, I call her Bridget, not dead, just bouncy. She, um, was climbing a tree that lots of kids climbed and she didn't think she was doing anything particularly dangerous. And even after dying by falling from it, she said, I wasn't being reckless. I was doing something that other kids did that we did all the time. It's just that the limb broke. She didn't fall. The limb broke. Oh, wow. And so she didn't, she wasn't off. For, she said, at first, I was afraid because I did something that would probably get a kid punished. Mm -hmm. And so right after I died, I kind of ran and hid. 
Um, and then she, she kind of calmed down or other, her guardian helped her or something. And she, but she said, I, I ended up in a place with people that fell from things and that's the reason they died. And I ended up with a whole bunch of other people from different times and places that fell to their death. Mm-hmm. And they all felt like they were on the bottom um, because they died. That was the last thing that happened to them. They felt like they were low and, and on the bottom. And she said, um, somebody came to me and, and said, um, You're, you'd be really good at helping some of these people. You see that guy over there? He, he's sadder than you are, even though he's older than you. She got the point that even though she was young, she might have skills that adults didn't have. Mm-hmm. And she, the way she just, she, she got to the point where she said, um, you know, falling isn't always bad. Sometimes it's even fun. You know, like they have bouncy houses at kids Christ- at birthday parties. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. You jump up and down so that you jump up so you can fall down. And she said, what we need to do is we need to get them doing some things that involve falling that are fun. And she, she said, and she, she came up with this line. She, she was teaching these adults and saying, look at our bodies. Now they don't have bones that can break and they don't have blood that can gush out of a hole. You can't break yourself anymore. So there's nothing to fear from falling. Mm. And then she, uh, she created a playground that had all kinds of things that people could fall from until they got used to the fact that they, she said, see, you're not dead. You're just bouncy. Wow. That's amazing. It's almost it's like a 10 year old put it. Yeah. And it's almost like she's almost becoming a helper over on the other side. Well, she absolutely was uh, no question about it. So we called her Bridget, not dead, just bouncy. Hmm. So after doing this work for 22 years, have you changed it anyway over time? And what has changed about you personally? I'd want you and your listeners to know it's not the only thing I do, even though this is what we're talking about. Mm. You know, I grocery shop and cook and I, I say mass and do confessions and do the, uh, Bible studies and different things that a priest does. Mm. Um, and I always believed in the afterlife. That really wasn't an issue. But um, now I know so many people that have died because I've done like 350 of these. And, and they touch your heart, even if you don't hang out with each other, you know, uh, and then the people that come from them, sometimes they're, they're Catholic saints that are well-known. Sometimes they're other famous people, um, but on this plane, you know, how a lot of people who are famous use their fame to raise money for causes or, you know, take their celebrity and put it to the work of the world and, and goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a lot of that on the part of, famous folk who uh, show up to these people that have been traumatized and say, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, that it makes them feel important and valuable to see that the person that came for them was not just a cab driver. It was Abraham Lincoln <laughs> or it was somebody else. Uh, so just the, the oneness of the universe, it's, it's stuff that I always believed. It's just come home to me. And even when you and I look at each other on this Zoom screen, we're talking about this awful stuff and there's a brightness in your eye and a smile on your face. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it just it just gives me joy to do this work, even though it in, involves stories that have, you know, crushing sadness in them. Right. What does the Catholic Church in general think about this work? Um, well, I think I'd rather rephrase the question to what is the Catholic Church in specific think about this work because there's only one there's only one person whose approval I really need uh, for me to do this work um, and that's I'm a I'm a Dominican we're organized into worldwide provinces I think we're about 42 or three of them in the whole world four of them in the U.S. and I have a vow of obedience to my local superior who is in Oakland California his name is Christopher and uh, he supports what I'm doing he's the He's the person who knows me, mm-hmm. who trusts me, and can uh, vouch for me. Mm. So uh, that's really all I need. My local bishop in the Diocese of Tucson only moved here a couple of years ago. We hardly know each other. Uh, he's okay with me as long as I don't harm anyone in the Diocese of Tucson. And I'm not out to harm anybody. So we're cool. Mm. <laughs> then the rest of it is people can have opinions about you and, mm. you know, 
not very many have formed negative opinions. I, mm-hmm. I'm really surprised. You know how cruel the internet can be? Yes. Um, I've had very little of that. Uh, I just haven't. Well, um, if that happens, well, I'm a grown-up. I can deal with it. Right. I've had a couple of speaking engagements w- from which I've been disinvited because of this work, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not annoyed about that. I just kind of knew that, that would um, this topic can be scary to people and uh, uh, I'm happy to go where I'm invited and not go where I'm not invited. So mm-hmm. That's okay. Lately on my podcast, I've had um, a couple people appear to be still struggling with taking their own life. And I feel like there's just something that's inherently wrong doing that, generally speaking. And I even made a statement that, you know, even the church is against it. And in Catholic church, if you do that, you're not allowed to be buried in the church cemetery. But is that true or not? And can you give me your opinion on that? It was earlier in my life that happened to have changed formally in 1991 with, um, and, and I even mentioned that I go into that because at near the end of this current book, I have two stories of people who took their lives. And uh, one of them, we always ask their permission to speak of their stories aloud. I'm not telling, there's a lot of stories I'm not telling you because I don't have permission. Um, but I'm, but I am speaking about ones where I've gone back to them and said, would it be okay if I spoke about this in public? And um, one of them was not a, she she was raised in some sort of church, and she I asked her, "Do you even use the word suicide to describe the way you your life ended?" And she said, "Nobody's ever asked me that." And I said, "Well, what would you say?" And she said, "I would say I took matters into my own hands. That all of the options for my life were bad, and this one was the one. And her circumstance was she had been gang raped uh, by her own uh, coworkers and." got pregnant and just, it was all back in the early forties. She just, and she was just a babe in the woods and she just she was so overwhelmed that she just thought this was her best option. So, and back to the Catholic church thing, that was an example of change coming from the ground up. It wasn't that a Pope just made a decree one day and said, we're changing the policy. People at the grassroots level just said, this can't be right. And enough people said it to, eventually cause the policy to change. So that's no longer true. You can be buried in a Catholic cemetery or right when our people are grieving the loss of a loved one to a suicide, that's the worst possible time to be telling people we can't help you. I don't think it's going to change anything. Once they cross over, they still have the same problems they left with, right? What I've seen is that um, they're, they're not shamed a lot of, uh, uh, and frankly, a lot of people that appear to have taken their life didn't exactly make a full act of the will to do so. Sometimes they do risky things that could cause their death and they died. Uh, and especially with reuse of drugs, they didn't necessarily want to finish themselves off, but they took more than they ever had before and it did the deed. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of gray area. But they do end up knowing that um, they're, first of all, that they're well taken care of, that they're safe mm-hmm. because they didn't feel safe moments before. Mm-hmm. And then they're down, when, when they've been through some healing, they're led to understand that um, when you're ready for it, yeah, that, that decision or that action did cause other problems and those problems all need to be dealt with, but you don't have to do that this minute. It's really therapeutic, you know, when uh, have you ever had to recover from a surgery or anything like that? Thankfully, no. Me neither. But I know, you know, some people might just want to push hard because it's their temperament. You know, they want to run laps around the hospital. But no, not yet. Uh, uh, we'll we'll let you know. We'll We'll let you push, but we won't let you push too hard. I've seen some people that have taken their lives that are... Uh, trying to make up for lost time. And, and sometimes they have to be coached, just slow down a little bit. They have, there's a whole afterlife team of people, some of them angels, some of them humans who um, love healthcare. And in the, in the Catholic church, some of your listeners might be familiar with the idea of a saint being the patron or patroness of a particular thing. 
the patron of teachers was a teacher, the patron of farmers was a, was a farmer. Sometimes people love a thing so much that it's hard to imagine them not wanting to do that thing somehow in the afterlife. Hmm. Haven't you been to a funeral where somebody says he must be up there playing golf or yeah. rooting for the Dodgers or whatever? And, <laughs> uh, that, there's the truth to that. Uh, there's there's something about us that when when we really groove a particular love or passion, uh, it's inconceivable for us to just leave it utterly behind. And sometimes people in the afterlife find I really loved my uh, healthcare work, and when once I found out that there was an analogous need for it, I just had a little retraining, and I <laughs> I learned how to to do here the thing that's very much like what I was doing earlier. Maybe you have or have not because they've already been coached, but have you ever come across someone that was shocked that there was even an afterlife at all and that they're an internal being? They were just expecting to be nothing and that was the end. Yeah, that happens a fair amount. Um, in the new, well, I mentioned on the previous time we were together last October that one of the guys in, the, in this now, now published book was a sheriff that was... Um, was killed in the line of duty mm-hmm. responding to his sister's house where she was killed. And he didn't believe in an afterlife and then he was in it. But um, for people that are able to pivot and uh, not let their pre existing conditions blind them too much, mm-hmm. you know, you just see what is, has that ever happened to you where you just had to change your mind because a new fact emerged and you just went, Oh God. <laughs> so yeah. I must've been wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Probably happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, or not, because you can insist that you're right in in the in the presence of evidence to the contrary. You know, you can, you know, you can be bullheaded and stubborn, can't you? And just mm-hmm. be the last one to believe what everybody else understands to be so. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's another option. But anyway, sheriff uh, was not. He just said, "I just didn't think about those things." And then when I realized I was out of my body, I was so angry at the punk that killed me. And he said, I know some people, you know, forgive their killer with their dying breath, but not me. I'm still mad as hell. (laughs) And he said, I don't want to, I know that you're a priest and I don't want to talk about God, but if there's, if the afterlife has, and he said, if heaven has some sort of side door, uh, show me where it is. Mm -hmm. That was the way he dealt with it. Quite a few of my podcast guests um, have encountered Jesus during their near-death experience. So Uh as being a priest and someone in religion, can you give me your point of view about that? Jesus is just as cool as can be and is great fun and hugely loving and um, gets a really bad rap. (laughs) A lot of people feel like he's the judge that's looking to punish and only likes the religious kids or something like that. It's just not true. He's a universal beloved. Uh, But um, what people's experiences of him are, um, I just love listening to people's stories. And so when people want to tell a story, I just shut up and and listen. And then they ask my opinion, I'll offer it. But I think you just asked my opinion, didn't you? Well, that plus, and let's go here. Have you had um, any of your people in the afterlife that you've communicated with also been contacted by Jesus? Yes. Uh, And in, well, yes and no. In the new book, um, there's this guy has just, just, just a heartbreaking story. He was, he's a Southerner and a, and a country guy. And he was pastor of a little church that couldn't afford a pastor. I think he sold garage doors or something like that. He had some trade that um, was his livelihood, but he pastored this small church and they were, um, they had Baptist in the name of it, but they weren't a part, they weren't affiliated with any of the big Baptist organizations. Uh, And they, when they, he said, we didn't get new members very often that needed to be baptized that had never been baptized. But when we did, it was an event and we didn't even go to the church that Sunday. We went down to the river and they had a particular place where there was enough space for everybody to park their car in their truck and he would baptize them. And everybody would know that that day you could, if you wanted to, to kind of renew your baptism, all you had to do was be prepared and dress for it. Uh-huh. And you could come down into the river too and kind of get refreshed. And then there'd be a picnic. And he said, that was some of the happiest moments in my life was baptizing. And he said, uh, this guy uh, 
uh, showed up to their church and he was a divorced guy who didn't come with any any family or anything. Um, and then he asked the, the pastor uh, if he would mind counseling him and meeting him down by the river. So he showed up because he was asked. Um, and the guy had something he wanted to, him to look at in the back of his truck. And he went to look at, in the back of the truck at what the guy wanted to show him. And the guy hit him over the head, tied him up and drowned him in the river. Wow. And he didn't know why. And he went out of body and he saw his body floating and so on. And then he landed in this place with a bunch of people helping him. Um, and he said, I kept falling asleep and waking back up. And then I'd wake up and someone would say, you know, you're, you're getting much better. And would you like a sip of water? And, and what, just like in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And he said, eventually I spent more time awake than asleep. And eventually I, I just said to them, when am I going to see Jesus? <laughs> and, and they said to him, well, you know, he's in all of us. You've been seeing him all along. Um, he's, he's everywhere all the time. And, and then they said, he, he said, they, it's like they had to take me to Christian preschool and remind me of things I already knew. They said, don't you remember the stories at the end of the gospels where the people that knew him thought he looked, thought he was a gardener or they thought he was some guy on the shore. I don't know if you know these stories, Jeff, but they're familiar to Christian people. Uh, There's a whole bunch of, they're called apparition stories of Jesus. And he never looks, well, in many of them, he, he doesn't look familiar even to people that have known him for a long time. Hmm. And because he was trying to teach them that I'm going to start looking like everybody. What I need you to do is start seeing me in each other. Uh, we call that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Breath. That uh, so this guy, they were teaching him that, and they said, "Don't you remember?" And he said, "Of course. I just did. I just thought it would be different. I was taught different. I was taught that when we would die, we would see Jesus with the toga and the sandals and the beard." And and they said, "Well, uh, if if you want that, that'll happen too. We'll get you ready for it." But for right now, just know that you, that he's been with you all along because he's in us. Before this happened to you 22 years ago, I'm sure you already believed in the afterlife. But I did. did you really have any real confirmation? Or would you say that when this started happening, this was a real defining moment for you when it was confirmed this is real? Not in the way you phrased it. I, there was never a time that I didn't believe that I would survive my death. I was taught it so young and it made such sense to me um, that that I never had any kind of uh, problem with faith in science or anything like that. And then as I learned more about science, the more I learned about the human body and the mystery of the brain and space and and then quantum physics and stuff. I I just, you know, the idea that, that um, what is it? Energy can't be destroyed. It can only be transferred. It just made sense to me, whatever different disciplines use different language and religion and Catholic religion have their own ways of talking about these things. But no, it's, it's just, it wasn't that it needed to be confirmed for me, but it certainly took things to a different level. But this all started back when I was around seven, I wasn't doing crossing of souls, but I had had some experiences in childhood that involved people that had died already. They didn't need me to help them cross. I just, but I, I, I was taught to pray for the people that had died as part of my night prayers when I was four or five years old, I suppose, three, four or five. One of the, the most amazing byproducts of me doing my podcast is seeing so many people write in the comments or they write to me or whatever that how these podcasts help them and they've lost a loved one. And, and I guess that makes them realize or it helps them that their loved ones are eternal and are still around. They're just somewhere else. Well, I can tell you, Jeff, I, and I did mention to you briefly before we started this interview that I've been on a lot of podcasts and the one interview that I did with you generated more heartfelt uh, seeking than any other show I've ever been on. People still find that interview. It was back in October, but you know, the internet is a place where you could just noodle around and find stuff. And people find that interview. And I've had a number of people who, um, especially during COVID lost loved ones and couldn't even be there when they died. Couldn't give them a decent burial. Couldn't have the family gather a lot of brokenhearted folk. 
and your show brought some of them my direction. Mm -hmm. I've ended up having really sweet little Zoom counseling sessions with people in England and France and Australia and all over the U.S. just mm -hmm. because people wanted to talk about something. And and then there's in in the in the Catholic Christian tradition something that Jesus once talked about. Um, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Like there are sometimes people that just don't belong to a group and they don't have anyone to lead them. And some of them have found me through your show and we just have a talk. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be religious. It can be whatever people need to talk about. Right. This may sound simple and repetitive, but I, I wish you could just make in a statement that just letting people know we are eternal. Life goes on and, and, you know, your family goes on, everybody goes on. And and there's a you that's larger than whatever your dramatic story of the moment is. Your cancer or your grief or your betrayal or your poverty or whatever. We're all larger than whatever brings us down. There's a, there's just a core you that is you um, that's, that's... And it sounds religious when a priest says that, I suppose, but I just believe that that the creator of the universe is in every atom of everything and is love, that you're swimming in a sea of love all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and if you've got, if you've heard contrary messages to that, well, take a, take stock. We all, we're all, we all hear things that are untrue. Mm -hmm. And if people have told you that there's nothing out there or, you know, you, you'll never amount to anything. It's just, there's a lot of things that you might've absorbed that are just not true. We're just absolutely loved and we're swimming in it. Right. What is the difference between a stuck soul and a ghost? Well, there's, there's, there's overlap, I suppose. Um, the fact that, that one thing I've learned that I could have answered your question earlier about how has it changed me? Um, sometimes people are, are, jump to the conclusion that if they've had some apparition or some ghost of a loved one in their house, that it must mean mama's stuck. And I'll get these kind of panicky calls that, Oh, you got to help me because my mama is stuck because she keeps showing up in the house. Well, the fact that somebody shows up in the house doesn't need to mean they're stuck. It might just mean they love you and want to let you know that they're still around a little bit. Hmm. Uh, don't don't jump to that conclusion that just because uh, there's some sort of apparition stuff going on or light switches going on and off or mute, there's their favorite song showing up or hummingbirds in the window or whatever. If there's some indicator that a loved one is being present to you somehow, don't assume stuckness. It could just be they want to and, and people keep their quirkiness that if they had a weird sense of humor uh, before they died, they they probably still do. And so it's not all just real solemn and, and uh, uh, matter of fact or logical. People can just be silly and funny. Uh, they can be kind of pranksters. Um, mm -hmm. But there are ghosts, uh, stuck souls that are here and unhappy. And there, I teach people things that they can do if they believe that's true to try to help. Mm -hmm. Um and I tried to teach them from the Catholic faith position because it's my strength. It's what I know. Mm -hmm. um, um, when I, when I, I do get people sometimes who will say there's a, there seems to be a ghost in my house that's uh, uh, agitated and whatnot. I, one thing I ask is, have you ever prayed for them? Do you have a prayer practice of any kind or anything that resembles it? You told me on your, on when we were, I was on your show in October that you had a practice of uh, gratitude in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, um, so when you do your little gratitude in the morning, can you, uh, uh, think a kind thought for the ghost, whoever you are, <laughs> Hey, I'm Jeff and this is my house and you seem to be hanging around in it. Uh, I hope you have a good day today, you know, or, or God bless you or how, whatever language you use. Mm -hmm. And then I encourage people to say, you know, there's, there are as nice as this place is there's there's a lot of nice places in the universe i wonder if you if you <laughs> would you like me to get somebody to, to call on somebody that could show you around a bit yeah not who would just force you to leave and take you away but would you like to have somebody that would kind of show you around i i once was interviewed uh by this woman on uh, sirius x 
what was that XM? XM uh, or FM? I think XM. XM. Uh, I never got to be on her show, but she. Uh, I, I was at a seminar where we were being coached about how to approach media, and I didn't think she, she ran a real estate show. Why would I want to be on? Why would she want me on her show? But I told her what I did, and she stopped me. We thought we were just practicing with each other, and she stopped me and said, "You have a real topic. Did you know that?" Um, that in some states, if you have paranormal activity in a in a house, you can't sell it without disclosing it. Wow. Hmm. And I said, um, you know, she said, uh, uh, and I said, well, sometimes I do help people find a better place to live. That might make me an afterlife realtor. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. I could at least suggest to somebody, are you sure you want to stay here? And in, 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 in the 13th floor of the haunted hotel there's other places you could at least you know where you are now uh could i show you something else or could i ask somebody to come for you and show you around a bit just in case you'd like to broaden your possibilities and then say yeah yeah you know i heard hawaii is really nice this time of year yes and afterlife hawaii is even better than that and and it's free you don't have to pay for a plane ticket or (laughs) (laughs) yeah no, that, no, there's. I'm, I'm making fun of it, but um, one of the w- w- there's a lot of the ways that this can be done, and some of them are, are more Catholic Orthodox than than. Um, and I, I'm not an exorcist, and I'm not in. It's just not my field of expertise. But we do have ways of simply praying for people. One of the things that we do is we call it having a mass said. It's a, a simple dedication of what we do every day and many times on the weekend. Mm-hmm. where you just have a mass set for the intention of this person. Anyway, I just coach people into calm down, pray. This is a person. Uh, treat them like a person. Pray for mm-hmm. them. Wish them well. Maybe you need to work out sometimes some sort of a, an agreement that no going in the children's bedrooms at night, no rattling chains after 10, yeah. you know, <laughs> something like a roommate. <laughs> right. I found it fascinating that twice you use the word plane, like plane of existence. Yes. P-L-A-N-E when I use it that way. Right. That to me doesn't sound like a biblical word, planes of existence. So, and if it is or is not, either way, what is your interpretation or what do you think about the afterlife? Are there different heavens, different planes of existence, different places people can go? Some of your listeners might know the letters, the letters of St. Paul in the, in the Christian New Testament. And he, he might not say the word plain, but he talks about levels. Um, um, the, the, the specific crossing over thing that we do does mean leaving behind a place where there's certain limitations and the crossing helps people's uh, horizons expand. They can then come back to this place. They don't have to leave it forever, uh, but they can they can go on to um, you know, the universe is expanding all the time, and so I just think it's natural to expand. Mm-hmm. But they they do move on to a next level where other opportunities and possibilities are presented to them that didn't exist at the lower level that they were at before. Mm-hmm. I don't. Know, does that get to what you were asking? Yeah, kind of. I think it. I think it does. Basically, you know. I. I mean. I don't know, and I think we're all just speculating here, but there is possibilities of going different places. Is I feel like that's what you're saying. Well, what you're saying, too, is I, I believe that it's possible to both know a thing and not know a thing at the same time in different ways. I work in universities, and in the morning, PhDs are at the front of the room lecturing about known things and imparting knowledge to you know, eager minds. And then in the afternoon, they're working with their graduate assistants and their PhD candidates uh, in the lab, exploring what we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. You can do both of those things. And I just believe people of faith, when we, when we assert things to be true, I believe there are some things that I assert to be true that are really true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I try not to be so um, arrogant as to believe that just because I've been taught this particular formula that it's, true in every circumstance across the board always. You have to kind of hold these things in a balance. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about something that we talked about on our last podcast, and that was guardian angels. Yeah, we spent a lot lot of time on that last time. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, if you look like on a scale of evolution, you have like the snail and I don't know, you know, and then something, and then eventually you have a human, and then you said the next one up is an angel. 
So are you are you implying that humans evolve into angels? No, not at all. And not the way not the cosmology that I've been taught. Other of your listeners might have, you know, have different uh, notions of this, but what I was taught and what I believe to be true is that God created all the pluriformity of life on earth and that continues in the the immaterial realm that that um and the ones that I deal with most are guardians because of the specific work that I'm doing with people that need that needed help because of the trauma of their death and they need specific help. And I've got this one little niche ministry that I do, but the guardians come across and they are just delightful. They don't have gender as part of their nature, but they understand that we mostly experience each other in that way. And so they kind of pick, the one that they think is the more helpful. Mm -hmm. They often will take a nickname just to, uh, sometimes they're playful. One of my prayer partners is particularly kind of an imp. He likes to tease and play even when we're in the middle of these things. Mm -hmm. And whenever, whenever a guardian comes on, he always just tries to draw them out and get them into some sort of banter. And, Mm -hmm. and many of them are happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Others of them tend to be a little more matter of fact. Uh, just the way that all the people that you meet in the course of the day vary from one to the next. Just to kind of go back over this again, can you give us an example or tell us how to get in touch with our own guardian angels if we want to? Yeah. Um, Intend it and mean it. You know, um, decide uh, this is this has captured my attention. I and I really want to know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you'd need to you'd need to go beyond a kind of a very uh, introductory level curiosity and decide. I really want this. Again, it's relational because they're persons. They're not human persons, but they're angelic persons. And the same way that if uh, any person that you've ever been intrigued by and want to know them more. What do you do? You, you make some kind of effort, don't you? Right. You get their phone number. <laughs> <laughs> you make it a point of trying to be around them and finding a common interest and so on. Same with your guardian. You you would just need to be, it, it really needs to involve some stillness, mm. some kind of sensory deprivation, put other things out of your mind and be able to say, hey, guardian, whoever you are, I'm, you know, I'm Jeff already, but I'd like to know you. One of the ways you can seed your imagination is to do that before sleep mm-hmm. and, and say to your guardian, Hey buddy. Uh, and you might even give them a nickname. They wouldn't mind that at all. Um, uh, I just, I just want to go on the record as saying, I really would like to know you. And uh, from what I'm told, you're already guarding me and have been since I was a little kid. So thanks for whatever you've done to keep me out of. Maybe you spared me some trouble that I <laughs> that I would have gotten into. Otherwise, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, and then you can start. You could say if it's really true that you guard and enlighten and guide. Well, then help me be more receptive to whatever kind of subtle guidance you might be able to offer. Mm-hmm. Let me give you this example. I play golf mm-hmm. badly. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to talk to my guardian one time and I said, you know, I, I'm, uh, I get upset and frustrated and stuff. And, and this is important to me because there are other people in my life that like doing this. And I really want to be able to do it with them. And, and I want to be peaceful and happy while I'm doing it. How can you help? Cause you don't even have a body. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, yes, but your game, it's not just about your body. It's about your mind. It's about the way you think. And so he said, Nathan, focus focus have you ever played golf Uh, not i mean once or twice but i you know you're standing over the ball trying to make a good shot while you're angry at yourself for missing the short putt just a few seconds ago that's a recipe for disaster Mm. you really do need to focus golf makes you stay in the present moment Mm. and the discipline of the present moment is is really important to a life well lived, I think. And and uh, what my guardian just said, focus. <laughs> focus. Are you saying that guardians know our thoughts as well? They they don't read your mind because it's rude. Okay. 
but they can infer what you're probably thinking because they've been with you since the womb. They know all your moves, you know, they can read your cues, signals, um, and they can infer what you might be thinking or what you might be. And then anything that you say out loud is open game. Mm. Okay. Anything that you say out loud is in the public forum. Oh, interesting. Uh, anything that you, anything that you speak or an action that you do that's observable to them, uh, that's fair. But they won't go into your consciousness and read your hidden thoughts. It's just rude. Are they with us twenty four hours a day? Because there's long a long there's a lot of long periods during during my day that I figure if they're with me, they're probably bored because I'm not doing anything that would they would probably. So do you think like you, you, you ever, like at a, at a hospital with somebody that's asleep, you bring a book, you know, okay. <laughs> maybe now it would be an iPad or something like that. No, they're they're uh, and remember they're highly intelligent. And they can uh, have other things that they're doing at the same time. I don't know how all that works, but mm. uh, they're, they, they can be completely focused on you and then perhaps be able to do something else at the same time. I've never really gone down that road. I figure some of that will be for my afterlife. <laughs> I have a full plate right now. On your new book, you scratched out the word or you crossed through the word stuck. So yes. what has changed from book to book that you did that? Especially when I was first at this all those years ago, um, the fact that they all died such trauma deaths. I never get, I almost never get people that just died of an, a, a bodily illness. They're almost always traumatic deaths. And some of them were in trauma loops where they couldn't stop thinking about the th last thing they saw the car crossing the center line or something horrible. Um, and we were helping them get out of that. Um, but then over time, I, I began to appreciate that I was really not just this guy doing this crossing thing, but I was at the end of a continuum of care and all this ex all these other persons along the line had helped them to this point. And, um, they weren't so much stuck is that they were just in extraordinary need because their passage had been so abrupt and challenging and they weren't ready for a move from a to b they needed to they, they needed time or, or special care or something kind of like you know one of the ways to think of it is is uh, sunrise you know the, the sun just doesn't burst over the horizon. You you see its light before it. Don't you see some light before sunrise? Yes. And then it gradually gets lighter until the whole sun is above the horizon. It's more like that. Some of them just need time and space and, and special care to get where they're going. They weren't necessarily stuck. They just kind of had a steeper hill to climb than you and I might if we die, you know peaceful anticipated deaths are there some people that just hang around because they just want to be with loved ones and they just don't want to go they just resist and they're just hanging around family members or whoever you mean after they've died yes yeah that happens sometimes but it doesn't doesn't mean they're stuck necessarily um and even ones that are making good progress at least in the little i don't i i I have to kind of stop myself. It, I, you, you make me feel like a, an expert on everything under the sun. <laughs> well, <laughs> you just, are. <laughs> well, I, I, I will claim my expertise in this odd little field. Um, but there are people, they, they, if they want to be around their loved ones, I've seen this particularly with parents that died before their children were raised and to adulthood, who feel very much like um, their whole, their mission was aborted because they didn't, they left underage children. And sometimes they are very motivated to want to come back and hang around and let and be known to their kids. And if they do it in, in, in right order, in, in goodness and in harmony, they can be taught uh, how to do that appropriately without being uh, obsessed or uh, it's just a matter of balance. And then they have to learn, um, you know, you wouldn't want, you know, 
peeping in the shower and you know there's be, be there'd be a kind of an ick factor or creepiness about when and how you showed up to your loved ones right. but very often they're at holiday gatherings thanksgivings and christmases and anniversaries and um for religious people first communions and such like that whenever there are, are family events where there's joy and love and togetherness they very often show up at those things all right well i'm going to switch gears on you because i'm running out of time now you have the, the new book out. I do. Uh, what else do you got going on that you want us to know about? Well, my whole world had to go on to Zoom, you know, when the pandemic hit. So for anybody that wants to, that's interested in what I'm doing, you could go on my YouTube channel. Uh, and I've done a couple of things with Christian scriptures that might interest people that were never taught them. They're not necessarily churchy Bible studies, but um, I did these Zoom calls. I had 75 on on one study and 65 on another one, people from all over the world uh, doing line-by-line -line studies of the Gospels of Mark and John. That was, was great fun. Um, you're helping me start a podcast, which I hope to have out there uh, in the fall. And right now I'm putting together a calendar. I like to do retreats. I'm doing some book clubs in Phoenix I'm double vaccinated, and so I'm now able to get on a plane and go somewhere. It's just that things are opening up at different levels depending upon people's comfort levels. Mm -hmm. But if any of your listeners want to do invite me somewhere, email me. Maybe I can come and offer something uh, live, or or I'm doing a bunch of things over Zoom, just mm -hmm. having conversations with different people um, about, about all of this. Um, I don't know where it's all headed. But uh, I'm meeting more and more great people. I just learned of an organization the other day that wants to have me be a keynote, the Spiritual Awakening International. Ever heard oh, of them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a doctor. Um, uh, it's a woman, Dr. Kaysen, Yvonne Kaysen. Yes, yes. Yeah. Sweet lady. I, I've said keynote. I think, the, I think what they do is they have one major uh, Zoom speaker a month mm -hmm. and they're kind of going to, we're going to have a conversation about whether I might be that. So oh, great. that might be a whole other group of people that you know, I meet. And over, over these recent years, one thing leads to another in the quirkiest way. You remember my first book is about the wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. And that's been the way I've lived my life. You just follow the yellow brick road and mm -hmm. just, just keep putting one foot in front of the next, just because you just don't know who's around the bend. Mm -hmm. You might be about to meet, you know, your next traveling companion. And so, uh, but if anybody listening to this is interested in anything they heard me say, all they have to do is go on my website. It's nathan-castle.com. And the upper left is one of those little envelope icons that click it and you send me an email. That's, that's the way I prefer to be interacted with because I'm most responsive to it. Okay. Well, you beat me to the question. So <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, how do they find you? That's the way I prefer to be found. Uh, mm -hmm. Some people will, you know, go on Facebook and message me, but I had that hacked a couple of times. It's just kind of turned me off to that. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll reply to it, but I'm not so, and then LinkedIn, I get a little bit of that, uh, but I really just like it. If people go to my website, click on, um, and then after, since I was on your show in October, I, I finally got some really good help in, in organizing my YouTube channel so that it wasn't just kind of a dump for odd bits of, video and stuff now it's pretty well organized and i'm not ashamed to invite people into it well that's great and i guess once you get your podcast under you know once you get it up and running hopefully you'll have a link on your website that they can kind of find you from there right yeah even right now on the on the website in the upper right is the little icon for youtube they can just go to nathan-castle.com and click on the youtube icon and it, it directs them right there okay perfect all right, Father Nathan, well, before we finish up here, is there one last message that you can share with us? You did that to me the last time. I know. On this topic of, of death and tragedy and so on, um, try to hold a good thought. You know, if you're heartbroken because you've lost somebody to a, a particularly traumatic loss, uh, I know lots of people that have been through that who have said, you know, I would have never thought it was so easy to die the way I did. And there were, and I was helped. I was never left alone. I was supported all the way. I just, I would have thought it had been a whole lot 
it would have really been awful to die the way that I did, except they made it so easy. So that would be, I, in fact, if, if there are people who have that, that hole in their heart that they wonder what was it like for my loved one, I've had so many people tell me, wow, that was a lot easier than I thought it would be. That's a great message. Hmm. And Father Nathan, thank you so much for joining me again. I really appreciate you, and I wish you massive success in whatever you do. Well, you're you're helping me be. Uh, I don't wouldn't say massively successful necessarily, but I'm but I'm getting to help a lot of people because of you, and I'm grateful for that. Well, um, well, I'm I'm glad I can help. All right, let's do it again. All right, let's do it. Take care and have a great evening. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.